Hello and welcome to the As Yet Unnamed Gaming Podcast. My name's Kevin. I'm Jacob. And for the foreseeable future, we're going to be talking about Keyforge. So first, a little bit about how Jacob and I got into this game. Um, I come from a competitive magic background. I played for many years, um, stopped around 2010, I guess, and then transitioned into like Netrunner and into board games that are not quite as competitive, but... From board games, I learned about this new game coming out that's a unique deck game. The distribution model interested me, so suddenly I have 46 decks in my boxes. Yeah, and I also came from Magic. I met Kevin playing Magic years ago. Uh, I've been playing off and on for the past five years, but I haven't taken it seriously since probably 2012, 13. And it's kind of when people were either quitting the game or becoming professional players that I knew. Kevin had a little bit of a, profe- a professional appearance, and I never quite made it that far. One pro tour. One pro tour. Uh, Germany, I believe. Yep. Uh, 2008. Yeah, so that's kind of where I got here. I learned about Keyforge from Kevin. He's my source on all gaming things, basically. Uh, and was pretty intrigued by it. Started buying decks. Really enjoy opening the decks. I think it maybe is the best part of the game, is opening a brand new deck. the best part of the game. Um, still check stock every time I'm near a store, like, oh, maybe they'll have a couple to pick up. What's $30 here? <laughs> uh, and now, you know, we're starting to dig deeper into the actual gameplay, liking it, uh, and hoping to make something of it. Yeah. So uh, this podcast, for now, we're going to be talking about Keyforge. Um, and we're approaching it from that competitive aspect of kind of analyzing the game, seeing what strategies we think work, picking out cards. Card valuation was a big thing in Magic. We've mostly right. focused on uh, limited, which this kind of yeah. is analogous to. Yeah, I, I actually, I think Keyforge solves, Keyforge Archon solves Magic Limited perfectly for me, in that you have this limited choices you can choose your deck but you can't really choose the exact makeup of it you can buy more decks but that's kind of a different issue and also benefit uh but it feels like limited even though i can play the deck for many events and i i think that's why i'm drawn to this game yeah because you have this this toolbox unchangeable toolbox given to you (laughs) and i guess we have multiple toolboxes to choose from we have to take it and kind of make the best of it in these tournaments. And the tournament scene is kind of what we're focusing on for now because that's our, uh, you know, scope of, yeah. of how we play. And another thing about this, like, these toolboxes is, like, when we did play Constructed Magic, which, you know, if you wanted to be competitive, you had to do both, you would never dream of bringing a deck full of one ofs and random cards and sometimes just cards that plain do nothing. Yeah. Dead cards. Just uh, main board situational. Yeah, main things. board blanks. Sometimes cards in your deck that actually hurt your deck more than they're going to hurt anyone else. Yeah. Um, looking at the destroy all scientists. Sometimes just most of the times does nothing. Sometimes hurts you. Yep. 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 Um, that card. So yeah, that kind of those like hindrances essentially come into play in deck valuation. Do I want to bring this? to a tournament or not. Uh, if you're playing sealed, you have no choice. If you get curiosity in a deck and it kills all your scientists, 
just don't play curiosity. Yeah, discard that's, it. That's well, what you're stuck with. Yeah, you can discard your card, and that is a wonderful thing. Yes, discarding uh, is undervalued in this game. Discarding is very undervalued. Uh, I discard a lot um, in all of my decks, especially in the decks that are you know trying to draw more cards specifically. But I find that I am probably discarding more than my opponents in an average game, twice as much. If and like again, this is kind of. A, Maybe a later topic, but I think there's a kind of a skill to when you're holding cards, and I don't think yeah. the community at large has gotten there yet. I think it's pretty rare that it's good to hold a card over drawing a new card. You're always drawing up to your max yeah. size. It's not always six, but you always do draw up to that. You draw it's so many cards a turn. Coming yeah. from coming from like a yeah. game like Magic, where it's yeah. one card a turn, and you have to do things to draw more. And forty percent of your nuts. cards are blanks. Yes. In Magic. Yes. So. That's true. Lance. Yeah. Um, so, it, on the topic of tournaments, um, let's talk about some of the, the structures of tournaments that we've played, that we've enjoyed. So, essentially, around here, it's just Sealed and Archon. Um, basic Archon. There's no adaptive, there's no like special stuff. We haven't seen any reversal tournaments. I think I've heard of one that. reversal tournament, but I don't even know who, because I haven't seen it advertised again. Yeah, I heard of a Sealed with bidding on the decks, bidding chains on the decks right. one time. So basically sealed, but it takes three times as long. Yes, much longer. Okay. The game is actually played in the first hour, right? and then you play games to, to see how everyone played the, the original Do you know who got what decks? Did you get a deck, this is your deck, other people play it? Or did you yes. bid on the deck you walked away with? So, because you're bidding phantom chains, yep. the deck that you open is assigned to you as the owner sure and then the you deck that you're playing in, your is someone else's okay so if you open a great deck and this guy with greasy hands bids on it <laughs> you have to like buy your own sleeves yeah, and, and make him is, play with them i'm i'm intrigued but not excited about that i would probably do it once yeah think the bidding was fun but took too long and then probably no I imagine I would be a cautious player and I would end up close to zero bids and just yes. hoping to do my best with the worst deck in the yeah. room and hoping to just pull something out. That's how I play literally all bidding games. That is, is find the lowest valued thing that makes sense in relation to everything else. I can definitely confirm that that is how you play every bidding game. <laughs> so, what's your preference? Do you like Sealed or Archon more? I think Archon Clearly is vastly like Archon superior. More. Um, I'm currently s about split 50-50. Um, sometimes I really just feel like opening a new deck and playing it and seeing how it does against other random decks. But once chains start getting introduced, I don't want to play sealed. I don't yeah. want to play a random deck that's going to have chains after the tournament. Yeah, both things you just said. One, if I could just buy as many decks as I wanted, I would probably not care about sealed at all. Yeah. I just, yeah. I would much rather just buy a deck and continue playing the decks I have or sometimes get a new deck to introduce to my little gauntlet. But also, chain-bound sealed. And this is kind of <laughs> this is kind of a side step from that, but not really. But it's bizarre to me. I don't understand it. I don't understand applying chains to a deck that beat up a bunch of random misfits, <laughs> and then showing up to a tournament against you know quad routine jobs and being at a disadvantage. It it doesn't make any sense to me. It's awkward. Uh. Archon, Chainbound, seems great, even if the implementation of it's a little muddy still. Yeah. I understand how it works, but it seems like 
chainbound in general, it's like you go four on an event, you get four chains. If you do that twice, you get eight chains. You would need to lose seventy-five percent of your matches for eight events to undo that. Oof. That's it's it seems aggressive. I think what it does is it incentivizes uh, people buying more decks so they have multiple good decks to bring to tournaments and they can cycle in and out. So you yeah. like get three decks up to eight chains and you're like, oh, I gotta buy more because yeah. this is really hard to play now. Yeah, and like, like I know there's like the whole mysterious ascending a deck and I want to get there. I got a deck I think I can get there, <laughs> but I'm a little nervous at that 13 chain mark. I think that's when you start feeling it. Um you can't even play a 19-chain deck in a chain-bound store tournament. So it's actually just completely unforeseen how to get those last few chains. Yeah. There's bigger events that they've told us exist, but right. we haven't seen them. I think uh, if I know anything about FFG's <laughs> OP model, it's that those big events are... At Gen Con? At conventions, <laughs> um, scattered around. But they also tend to run like store championship regional type things. Yep. That'll be a little higher level. I'm not, I haven't looked too deep into the tournament structure. I'm just going to the ones that are available. Um, and currently going to Sealed because it's the best way to get a new deck. Right. Yep. And I think we are luckier than most. I think we live in a hub. Um, I guess we should mention that we live in the metro area of Fantasy Flight Games. Uh, so we, we have a little heads up on the and there's just there's a lot of events happening we can basically go to one almost every night whether traffic allows that because they all seem to start at 6 or 6 30 yeah. is another question uh but we we have choices there's uh, an abundance i think almost every day of the week there's some kind of keyforge event if you want to go to yeah I they're all it's, they come off as really small yes and that's fine We've played in um, several six-person tournaments together. Yeah, and most of them are, most of the events are Archon, um, not so much Sealed. I've been seeking out Sealed just because I still think the most fun thing to do in this game is open yeah, a new deck. It is, it's, it's, it's great. Um, but on the topic of Archon, uh, and speaking of, I think one of the biggest decisions that you make in this game is deck choice. What are you taking right. and why? Yep. So... Depending on how many decks you have, you may not have that many options. And right. also kind of um, analyzing the decks you have without a lot of play experience or with a lot of play experience can be kind of difficult. So that's something that we're going to kind of dig into a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think we can probably start now. Which sure. is... Yeah, I mean, yeah, the evaluation of decks in this game is significantly harder than any game I've ever played before. Because, like... I didn't play Magic in the alpha days. I don't, I don't know about that. But I know that when I was playing, I had data. Lots of data available. Through the Magic Online, through the professional events, even just the like big opens. Every week I had days worth of reading and lists and stuff to look at to figure out what is performing, what can you play. And in this game, I... As we're going to talk, I think there is going to be a meta, yeah. but it doesn't exist yet. I think there's a meta that players haven't chosen to create yet. Um, <clears throat> although there's actually kind of a meta that players have forced into the picture, and that, I mean, that leads us right into our first archetype, which Amber Control. It's 
clearly out there. If you play on Crucible, you play in your stores, it seems like everyone adds 20% to any deck with bait and switch in it. And is that right or wrong? I don't know for sure. I can't say for sure, but it certainly feels aggressive. Sure. And Amber Control is, you've probably heard the term, you've probably thought of the decks like this, and it's the most kind of straightforward, obvious way to play this game. Because the goal of the game is to collect Amber and forge keys. If you can control your opponent's Amber pool, then you're controlling the game and thus winning. Or better yet, take their Amber. Yeah. So Amber Control is, is essentially any deck that focuses on controlling that Amber pool. It essentially ignores creatures on the board unless they're doing something problematic. Um, it would ignore like cards in hand. It's not so concerned with generating its own amber at a good pace. It's more concerned with keeping your opponent off of keys, and then you'll get there eventually. So the kind of standout cards in that archetype are like the routine jobs, bait and switch, anything that captures a large amount of amber, anything that just like affects your opponent's amber pool. Right, and even cards just like miasma and stuff that just like slow them down. Oops, you got to seven. Yeah, and you know. Uh... Lash, uh, what Lash is, of Broken Dreams. Lash of Broken Dreams. Sometimes you get them up to 8 Amber, they still don't have a key, and then you take their Amber, and yeah. it's a little more brutal. Those cards paired together also, yep. you know, synergies like that. Um, so we're not going to dig deep into Amber Control, but we're going to kind of touch on some other archetypes, at least that I've seen. Um, these are, I mostly identify them from my personal collection, because that's the decks that I have the most exposure to. Um, so... Similar to Amber Control, but approaching from a different angle, is what I would call board control. Um, and this is decks that respond to your opponent's cards rather to rather than their Amber Pool. So your opponent plays something that's going to be relevant and you kill it, or they play an artifact and you get rid of it, or you nullify their cards by archiving them with a Zoopy Keeper or something. Um, so it, it focuses on... The board state and developing an advantageous board state and then forging keys by having like 10 more creatures in your opponents i'm reaping a lot more and you can't really do a whole lot about that right um and board control in this game is uh it's kind of in a precarious spot it's awkward. because there are a lot of cards that destroy a lot of creatures efficiently um which sometimes are negative cards but if your focus is on emptying your opponent's field it's going to feel pretty good when they wipe out yours in one card. Uh, there's also the problem of, really, it's kind of a, a rock-paper-scissors match coming with these archetypes, and when you're trying to control the board, the amber control decks are just going to take your amber. Yeah, they're they don't care about the board. If it's if they're essentially action-based, at least. And a lot of them, right. like, the, the vast majority of really good... And I think the better ones are, are going to be action-based. Sure. And, in fact, this might be a... Unpopular opinion, I believe the best decks in this game are action-based. And if you read, you know, Reddit or BGG forums or, you know, the discs, that's the, that's large the data discords, we have right now is, right. is fan-made. Right, and yeah. so if you read these things from people, it, oh, that deck has 16 creatures, store it. You know, not good enough. And, and I'm looking and I'm like, 10 creatures. <laughs> This is great. <laughs> this is a fancy deck. Yeah. Um, so, unpopular opinion, and, you know, I'm nobody, so we'll see how that we, ends up. We've heard that opinion from uh, other people whose opinion we respect. Yes. So we, you know, they say, like, I'm, I'm really drawn to decks that have low creature counts, yeah. and I, I 
personally like playing with cards on the board. I like having board states that I can analyze. So I, I personally am not a huge fan of heavy action decks, but I'll play them and I can see that yeah. they're good. Um, what's another, what's another archetype we could talk about? Uh, so Amber Rush or I think like, kind of like I, an aggro deck. Yeah, you, it's like an aggro deck in a normal game, but in a totally different axis, axis because, you know, it's hard to not compare things to magic. It's just, sure. it's the easiest. A lot of people come from magic and we apologize if you are just totally like, what is magic? Yeah. Um, that's <laughs> unlikely. What, what uh, could that be? But. Suddenly magic, like, aggro would be, you know, like, small creatures and getting in fast, killing your opponent fast. And while it's not about small creatures in this game, although Dust Pixie is a small creature... Dan Hunting Witch. Um, it's about just winning as fast as you can. And, like, those explosives, like, you're on the draw, and you play four cards for six amber and pass the turn, and your opponent goes, well, I'm down a key on turn one. You know, turn my turn two. Mm-hmm. Like, this is... It's powerful. Uh, it's one of the strategies that's just going to totally blow you out because you're going to be, you're going to keep your hand. You're going to be like, yeah, I kept my hand with, you know, a mother gun. I'm going to kill some stuff. <laughs> and then they play two dust pixies and some other, you know, a hunting witch and two dust pixies. And they have a ton of amber. And like, you're like, I guess I'll kill the hunting witch. Yeah. And I am dead. Cool. Yeah. So in, in terms of aggressiveness... In, in Magic, the resource is life points, reducing yes. life points. In, in this game, it's amber and it's gaining amber. It's more like an additive aggression. So these amber rush decks, a really good amber rush deck, I think builds up to preferably an early turn that it bursts a lot of amber. Um, hopefully more than one key's worth and even up to, I have a deck that I think can make like 10 amber on turn two yep. with a decent hand. Um, so... You're really crossing your fingers when you make that 10 amber if you see, like, shadows on the other side of the board or, you know, anyone that has even, even like, a dis or dis, however you say it. Yeah. Um, you're just like, please don't drumble, please don't bait and switch. Yeah, and, and really this, this comes down, this is another reason I love Archon. Looking at your opponent's deck list is a skill that everyone that wants to play this game in any competitive fashion needs to get good at. They need yeah. to learn what they're seeing. You don't need. I don't think you need to memorize every card. I don't think that's required. No. But you need to know the key pieces. You need to know what your deck cares about and how they're doing that thing. This is going to be crucial in every single game you play. Is that if you are playing a Shadows player, you need to look for cards like Bait and Switch. If they, if you care about your artifacts, you need to look for the artifact removal cards, and if. Look for their gateway to disc. See if they have it before you put 10 creatures on the board to only discard them and then have a bad hand. Sometimes you need to hold things and reap when you know that they can kill them all real fast. And that's just how Archon works. And that, again, like you can make 10 Amber on a turn because you know they don't have Bane Switch. They don't have too much to protect to take it all from you. And if they have a Drumble, you have the Twimble to mission to kill it or something. Right, yes. You have answers. You, you, you can plan. We know... All the deck list you can plan for everything can you I don't know the specific rules of referencing an opponent's deck I know you can't reference outside notes can you ask to look at their checklist throughout the game or is it only two minutes at you the know start? I also don't know I think okay. you're supposed to look in the first couple of minutes before like the round minutes. but 
I know some people suggest that you can look at all times, <clears throat> but I'm sure the official rule lays this out and we just are unaware. Yeah, it's probably based um, on the tournament organizer too, I guess. Yeah, I know like uh, in like Crucible play, I think most people probably just pop the deck list up on their second monitor and, you know, look at it when they need to. I don't look at deck lists on Crucible. I'm, um, I'm an outlier there. I don't look at deck lists on Crucible in random Unless matchups. Unless you're in like a tournament or something. But there's been some, a couple websites running these, you know, fan tournaments and I look. Like, of course yeah. I look. Yeah. Um, I think more on that later. Yeah. So another thing to look for that I would suggest looking for when you're seeing your opponent's deck is any cards that come in multiples. You're more likely to see those cards early in the game, twice in the game, three times in the game. Like, I have a deck that has four copies of Toxin. It's not the best card in the deck, but it also draws people's eye. When they look at my deck list, they just see four Toxins. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's a good card. Yep. If I can get multiples out, you're probably going to die because your hand is going to suck. But that is something to keep an eye on. If they have multiples of anything, they might be playing the deck for that reason. I have three Hunting Witches. Okay, yep. you're trying to make a bunch of Amber. Yep. You know? And there's also just the... You know, the special cards. These, There's a lot of cards to look for. Uh, and this is a skill that everyone's going to gain over time. I don't think anyone's particularly good at it yet. I, I've i played in events where my opponents were totally blown out by th things that I felt were obvious. <laughs> and they would they even remarked that, like, oh, I didn't even notice that. And, you know, like, things like, oh, I, I missed that you had bait and switch. Yeah. This is... Don't miss when they have bait and switch. Yeah. You can't do that. I think, and I think that also goes back to the kind of knee-jerk reaction of how many creatures do you have. And people look at your list and they say, what are your creatures? What's right. going to be on the board? Yeah. What am I looking at like over multiple turns? That might not be the best things in your deck. It might not be why you're playing your deck. Right. So take a look and see. Um, that I think that's one, one thing to really ask yourself. Why is this person playing this deck? And it could be... They just have one bait and switch, and it's their only deck with bait and switch, and they heard it's the best card in the game, so they're playing their bait and switch. Deck. Yeah, and that and it's actually another thing. Like, <laughs> that was my hand. Um, <laughs> Confirmed. <laughs> uh, no, so how many decks do people own? You own forty six. Forty six. I think I own exactly thirty at this moment. We have a lot. I'm sure I'll have more within the next few days. I like, think we certainly have more than average. Players. I think we have more than average, but I know for sure that there's people that even play the same swords as us that have 70 plus. Sure. So the people you're playing against right now, maybe they only have five decks. But once we start getting to larger tournaments, assume your opponent has a reason in everything they do. Like, this is a, a lesson that you learn in competitive games if you're, if you're newer to like the kind of real competitive aspect of them or even if you just want to do a little bit better at your random events like don't underestimate anyone they might maybe they are terrible they're probably not they probably have a reason in every decision they make assume that and you will come out better i think another thing that comes into this deck choice and analyzing your opponents is the kind of abundance of how casual this game can be and how easy it can be to play from a casual perspective. And when we say casual, we don't mean that you're worse at the game or that you make in inopportune plays or anything. We're saying that the reasons you're playing this game are different than the reasons we're playing this game. You play because 
you have cards that you really like the artwork of, right. or you like how these two cards work together, and you try and do that every game, and that's fun for you. Like, you're yes. having your fun, and it doesn't necessarily mean you're trying super hard to win. It just means you're trying to have your fun. So, that's an, uh, like you're not going to judge people based on how they look and be like, you're filthy casual. Yeah. But you can look at someone's deck list and then how they play the first few turns and kind of combine that information to say, why are you here and what do I need, how do I need to adjust to that? Like if, you, if you're here for, a re- for like a casual reason, I'm probably playing differently. I'm probably less strict on any kind of rules. Mm-hmm. If you make a mistake, you're like, oh, shoot, I meant to pick up my archives. I'm going to say, go for it. Yeah. You, you know, have your fun. Yeah, I think this... I'm here to win, and I'm going to try hard to win, and I'm probably going to win because of how you're approaching this game, but I don't want to take anything away from you. Yeah, I actually think this is a, a pretty big misconception in that, sure, there are going to be jerks that are hyper-competitive. I think we are both hyper-competitive people. We play every game to win, Keyforge has a lot of great discovery, and that's what makes us come to this game. But to keep us, we're going to want to win. Mm-hmm. We're going to want to win our random local tournaments. We're going to want to go bigger. Um, when the real OP starts, we're going we're gonna to be looking at them. We'll probably be looking at driving places and you know, maybe some flights. Like uh, Assuming the game provides some incentive for it. But both of us would never hold you to anything if you believe that you made a quick mistake. If you named the wrong house and played a card and then go, oh, this is horrible, I'm going to tell you to pick up your card. Take it back. Pick the right Undo. house. Undo. Play your best against me. Like, take this as a lesson. Remember, get better. But I am never trying to win by pulling one over or getting lucky because my opponent just missed something. That's not, that's not fun to me. I want to yeah. win against the best people. My hyper-competitiveness manifests itself in early concessions. <laughs> That's where it comes out the most. It's like, I see him losing this. It's three turns from now. We'll just call it over and be done. And yeah. This surprises people. And I think that's the only time that I actually take people's fun away. Yeah. Is like, you win, I'm done. And they're like, what? What are you saying? I'm like, okay, you have six. I have zero. I can't make any because I have to spend some for this thing. And yeah. I'm, I, there's three turns of me doing nothing and you forged two keys in that time. And it's... Yeah. Over. This game is over. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I'm I don't know if you've seen this, but if you look on the front page to Crucible Online, uh, the chat is mostly people calling people out for leaving the game. and Not conceding, though. That's the big thing on sure. Crucible is you don't click concede. Because there's disconnects. Yeah, yeah, that is true, but I also think for the most part... Like, maybe, like, people are just clicking leave game and they just need to learn to concede. But I think most of the time people click leave games because they're dead. Yeah. And they're ready to play a new game. Yeah. And, like, I understand the idea that you feel slighted because you didn't get to finish your game. But it's also not fun to sit there and lose. Like, if you're dead, move on. Yeah. I'm going to do that same thing, too. Like, like maybe I'm a little quicker in a casual setting to go, okay, this isn't worth playing out. We're in an event with something on the line. Maybe I... Go, okay, well, you know, I'll give it a couple more turns. You know, yeah. if, if I'm not dead, I will continue. I can see if I'm dead. It's just, from my perspective, it's clear. Yeah. From theirs, it's less clear. Right. Or so, sometimes dead is your opponent has one key and six creatures, and you look at your hand and go, okay, I'm dead. Yeah, I'm dead. Yeah. I did that recently, and yeah, my I opponent was, I was confused. <clears throat> he, he asked, 
I, I believe his words were, what do you see that I don't? Yeah. So I explained it in, in some terms. Yeah. I didn't go into depth because I was kind of frustrated at losing. <laughs> it was like it was like round four, and I was 3-0. Yeah, you were I playing. was going for the 4-0, and I didn't get it. 4 was, four was the only record that got anything of that one. Yep. So, yeah. I, uh, you know, that was a kind of a good, nice, long tangent. Um, but we have a couple archetypes left. Um, I've identified five, personally. I've identified five. Yeah. Um, so... Next one I can think of is, I would call it junk. Um, that's kind of an old magic term yep. for a deck that has a lot of good cards, like but sink. it doesn't have a specific focus. Yep. Um, so junk decks are decks that, if you look at it, there's a bunch of great cards in it. Yep. Maybe it has like the four horsemen. That's cool. That's a cool little package. Maybe it doesn't have a ton of support for them, but it also has like a couple routine jobs in shadows or something. So it's doing different things. It's doing them all well. And it essentially plays kind of off the cuff. What does my hand look like? Yep. I'm analyzing, like, it's a very kind of tactical approach to the game. Um, I don't think I would actually take a junk deck to a tournament unless there was something insane about it. Well, yeah, I think we... I don't have any evidence of this, but it's possible that what we'll see at the end is the decks that are doing just a bunch of things well are going to beat the decks that do one thing well. Even though right now it sure feels like the decks that do one thing well are gonna win. Sure. Like maybe we'll see these decks pop up and you know what are their, what is the number like some trillion possible decks. One point four. One point four. Sure, something like that. And like one of those decks is gonna be doing all three of the first archetypes: amber control, board control, and like aggro. It's gonna do them all well enough that it's gonna win, and it's gonna look odd. It's almost like a pick a strategy game. Like, in, oh, I, I drew my amber control card, yeah. so I'm going to be trying to, like, manipulate yeah. that. And then mid-game shift into this, I made 10 amber this turn, right, yeah. and then late game, kill all your stuff, and then reap the last key, or right. something like that. So, junk decks are kind of potentially sleeper hits. Right. I think they don't quite fit. I personally wouldn't take one right now, is what I would say. Yeah, I haven't seen one that felt better than one that could do anything better. I have like, a couple... I have a couple decks that I would say are, I would call them junk decks, and they're good, and they're fun to play. They're just, I just prefer the focused approach. I know what I'm doing, I have a game plan, I'm going to follow it through. Um, so the last archetype is one that is probably the most controversial, yeah. easily. It's yes. generated many threads. You know what it is. It's combo. Yeah. Uh, specifically, at this point, I think it's just the library access and either Nepenthe or... Reverse time combo. Before, or post-Restringitus nerfing. It used right. to be Restringitus. Restringitus, I think, was a more divisive card. Yeah. But it, now the, the new kind of spotlight is on this. Yeah, it does seem like the combo decks, when they're good, are hated. It's People don't like to lose like that. And I, I've, I've seen this firsthand... <laughs> Um, it's a lack of interaction. I think players yeah. in this game are looking for interactions in a game that doesn't always have to have them. Yep. I also think part of it comes from uh, the view of keys and how they look like a score, which I think is wrong. Very wrong. Uh, there's a lot of people that look at a game that was three keys versus two keys and say that game was close. And there's a lot of people that think a three versus zero was a blowout. And... Sometimes that's true, but it's not automatic. And I think that's where this is 
really rubbing people the wrong way is when they have two keys and maybe they're even ready for their third key and you go off and you make all three keys and they think, wow, that game was like... I almost had you. Yeah, I almost had you <laughs> and you think, you didn't. Yeah. I, I, like, I don't know how to it was describe this to you, but everything you did, I kind of let happen <clears throat> and then I went off when I needed to. Yeah. Or when I... I went off at a combination of when I needed to and when I had enough that I felt confident I was going to win. Like, it, it's it's hard to describe exactly why this feels bad for people, <laughs> but I've experienced it a few times. I, I own a, a combo deck. I played it at one local event so far and some online play, and... I'd say about 50% of my opponents ask me how much I paid for my deck, which is a little insulting almost. The answer is... $9.99, of course. <laughs> of course I'd be $9.99. We don't pay secondhand. I, don't, I can't imagine buying a second. A second I can hand. imagine it. I would buy one for less than 10 if I thought the person was misevaluating it. Um, I could imagine paying maybe $20 for something that I thought was speculatively good, but not obviously good. Right. Um, like, one thing... I actually... I mentioned this to you before. I, I want to try a deck that has Epic Quest and Key Abduction together. Because I think you can have some real cool turns where you pull your archives in, a bunch of random Sanctum guys, and Key Abduction. And then next turn, get another key with Epic Quest. Right. This sounds this sounds fun to me. That is um, probably fun. So I don't have this deck, so maybe I'd pay $20 for one. Uh, sure. So You probably wouldn't have to pay $20 because I think Epic Quest on its own... It's a really hard card to make work. I think so, too, and I think people also hate Mars. Nice. Um, whether or not that's correct, who knows, it certainly seems to underperform in general. Yeah. Um, I think I think you have to look into a specific type of Mars package. Yeah. And I think Crystal Hive, is, Crystal Hive is actually a, an extremely important card. Yes, but then Mars also has the problem where its big creatures are very hard to kill, but that... Kind of doesn't matter. Because they come in exhaust. Or yeah. And, and like also just like, the best they're going to do is kill a creature a turn. It's like, you know, kind of who cares. Yeah. And then their good creatures are very fragile and die to every removal spell in the game. But they're elusive. Yes, that's true. So on the topic of losing to combo decks, I kind of yeah. want to go back to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing that I think, one reason that I think players have so little fun is that this is a very, in a normal game, this is a very tempo-oriented game. And even if you don't identify this, there's points where you feel like, oh, I'm winning. Yes. Oh, I'm winning now. Yes. And I'm winning, and I'm winning. Yeah, winning. I'm up two and pieces zero. And then you take it away like that. Yes. It's, it's kind of a very abrupt win. Mm -hmm. And if they didn't catch it in your deck list, or they, didn't, they haven't been exposed to this before, that feels bad. Yeah. It's to be like, I, was, I had seven amber... He didn't steal any of it. He had zero keys, and I lost. Right, and even sometimes, you know, they they made five amber incidentally, and I stole it from them. I kept them on zero amber this whole game. Yeah. They never got to do anything. I never let them do anything. And then they won in a single turn, and... How am I supposed to stop that? Right, how am I supposed to stop that? You can't... There's no <clears throat> actions in this game that work on an opponent's turn. You have to respond ahead of time, which maybe you missed it. Maybe you don't have anything that does it, which is kind of a, a future yes. thing where if these decks pop up, you need to learn how to combat them. Right. But 
Also, the combo wins are not particularly fast either. Like, <laughs> so you're just watching this person yes. shuffle and draw cards. Yep, you can picking up amber. It might be turn three, but that turn three might take twenty minutes. Yeah, because especially in you know IRL play with paper decks, card the things with like the rule of six. Ooh, it's tough. It's tedious to drag. You need to bring like a pegboard. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I, currently I I have a deck that cares about this, and I have a piece of paper, and I place some dice, which I know I'm not supposed to use dice in Keyforge, but I don't know how else to do it for this. You're not using them as counters. I think the problem is yeah. with dice as counters because the values can well even still you're using them in a way that, that the values can be obscured. I yeah, and those. you know maybe this will get better as you know, uh, if if you know if you look at your opponent's list and you know that they are capable of just winning, there's a certain point where you can concede. <laughs> um, that's not fun to people either, though. No. Uh, like Most As we mentioned won't. before, like we're competitive players. We concede earlier than someone that's just there to play the game. Yeah. Uh, the people that just are there to play the game, they're going to concede when you place your third, you flip your third key over, and you say, this game is officially over, yeah. per the rules... There's people, it, like, there are people that will play out their entire turn yep. when you have six amber yep. and your two keys, and then they pass it to you. Yes. <laughs> and you yep. say, forge a key? Yes. <laughs> and you win. Uh, it, it, it's almost awkward it is, it <laughs> to is sit awkward. there and watch them. Because a lot of times they'll say, too, like, oh, I have no way to take any of your amber. And you think, can I pick up my cards? Great. But they, then, you know, reap, <laughs> reap, uh, you know. Kill you guys. Yeah, kill do, your guys. Do everything I can. Yep. Uh, and this is fun. Go ahead. <laughs> I've gotten a lot better about just like sitting through those turns. Yeah. It doesn't Let them have their me. fun. It doesn't frustrate me. But when they pass the turn, I'm like, okay, I thought Yeah. I thought there was more to that. Yeah, I thought your last card <laughs> in hand <laughs> was about to be, you know, charrette or something. Yeah, you're and you're gonna drop me below my key and, yeah. I'm, and we're well, gonna continue the game. Turns out I just win. Yeah. Thank you. Um so yeah, I think that basically covers the basics. We're going to, in future episodes, dig into these archetypes a little bit more with some deck examples. Uh, if you're watching this as a video, we'll put the decks up on the screen. And we're also going to talk about kind of the core cards that you might see, um, cards that counter these archetypes, specifically combo. I think we're yeah. going to address that one first. And just kind of how to approach if you see a deck like this against you or if you're trying to bring a deck like this, what cards you're looking out for in the opposing deck. Yeah, uh, people aren't having fun with these combo decks, it seems apparent. Uh, I know one of the like visible online communities running tournaments has totally banned the use of a deck that has simply library access and a pen seed. Not even... That's not enough <laughs> to win. No. It um, well, it's, it, it's it, enough it'll, it'll to allow, probably win. Probably. But it's not enough to win on the turn. It's not a sure. one-turn kill, which is really what we're talking about yeah. when we when we talk about these combo decks. Uh, not the deck that draws 18 cards and then fizzles out. Mm -hmm. um, which, those decks are still powerful. It's hard to beat a person with 25 cards in their hand or, you know, whatever. Sure. Like, you probably will lose that game unless you were about to win it. But these one-turn kill decks are, you know, they can be frustrating and... Kind of, we know how to beat them. Yeah. You just have to make some concessions. Yeah. It's um, a lot of it is deck selection. Yep. Being having tools for the matchup. Yep, and it's hard to predict if these decks are rare. 
Uh, I think the current stats are like 0.14% of decks have library access plus an event seed, and that's not even considering, you know, that to really win they need phase shift and key charge, or uh, key abduction, which is actually a little easier than key charge, but yeah. in a third house. Yeah. And your third house has to be Mars then. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Too bad for you. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. But I think that's next time we're going to focus on combo. Uh, yep. We're going to look over one specific deck list, uh, kind of run over a tournament, and see, tell you what you can do to stop these kinds of decks. Yep. It's going to be fun. Right. So we'll see you next time. Thank you.